My house is very loud. That especially came up today. Like I feel like my my ears are still ringing. I haven't checked if they're uh, uh, bleeding. But what I really want to know is is like I mean I've experienced this a lot. I got a lot going on here. Lots of kids. Lots of ins. Lots of outs. But I really need to know. Like I'm wondering. Uh, like I feel like once you have three kids and a dog and a wife uh, or, yep. or spouse or partner, whatever, whatever, another adult who shares the uh the joy of your life uh like i mean i feel like you might as well have 10 i feel like the 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 three <laughs> limit like the difference between three and 10 is like you know you're only talking about maybe 10 minutes of a shorter lifespan that you're incurring with each child that you get there and uh you know it's just like i'm i i and and if you had 10 right no then you would have just so no. you would have so many more kids that could help you harvest the wheat instead of just the food, right? So, okay. and what, what, now I was thinking this earlier, there was lots of, lots of yelling, lots of noise, you know, uh, Mila, my youngest daughter, she starts to walk now. So she's just walking everywhere. She has discovered how to scream. Um, luckily, well, let me rephrase that. She has discovered how to scream when she's happy. She always knew how to scream when she was sad or upset. So uh, things are very loud. So I wanted to ask you, Matt Ray. Uh, now you know we, we we know that Brandon, <laughs> as a fellow person with thinking about ten kids, but no, nah. that's right. I mean, we know Brandon has one kid, which is a handful, right? There's a lot going on there, very complicated. But but um, you know, uh, but you, Matt Ray, you have five kids, and so like how <laughs> like how is it that you can still hear? Do you basically? ride the volume on your headphones like at 11 because you like your hearing is shot like i how are you coping at this point well first i gotta set the record straight it's just three <laughs> it might sound like five <laughs> uh we're, we're in the same boat Kote, and uh no plans to 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 build out a, a soccer team or, or what have you uh -huh, um uh -huh. well i i'm luckily down uh uh, I'm on my own floor, so I'm in the basement uh, down below oh, everybody else. So right now, yeah, I can yeah. hear, I can hear the youngest and the dog uh, running around up, uh, upstairs. The youngest insists that the dog doesn't love him because the dog's always attacking him. But then, you know, in about five minutes, he'll be like hugging on on the couch and and playing and whatnot. So um, I, I, fe I feel like I feel like in my life, I'm the dog. That's <laughs> I, 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 I mean, I'm sorry. I feel, I feel like maybe I'm your kid. Like I'm the son who's like, why do all, do all these people keep attacking me? Like I, yes. I don't do, do they love me or not? I don't understand. Are, are you full of treats? Are you are you waving your arms and fingers like a toy? <laughs> I mean, I must be full of treats. I I, I don't know. I I don't taste good to myself. This is the problem. I, yes, I, I keep trying to convince my son. Look, you're acting like a pinata. You you know you need to calm it down. Uh -huh. Just chill with the dog because he gets excited. Um. Anyway, uh, the key is uh, I'm on a different floor. Uh, I uh -huh. keep as many doors shut as I can. I usually wear noise canceling headphones. I'm usually listening to something to drown out, you know, I hate to call them this, but the noise. And mm -hmm. uh, that's that's how I operate. And so then, you know, someone will come stomping downstairs and they'll, mm -hmm. you know, they'll open the door and I will not even notice they're in the room as they're talking to me. Uh, so I got that going for me. Wow. There is so much I can learn from you, Matt Ray. I think, <laughs> I think, I think, no, I think one. I I think once I rethink the people in my life as quote unquote the noise, <laughs> I think that is like perhaps the best therapy that I've had in several years. I just I just need to wrap my head around that notion 
that it's just the uh it's the uh you know there's just that phrase that um you shouldn't be the weather you should be the sky and i think maybe there's something related to here that like there is weather in your house and i don't really know if you're the sky or not but you just recognize all this other stuff as weather and and maybe you need a really good trench coat maybe i'm the trench coat i'm not sure like I need to figure out where I am relative to the weather that's in the house. You're losing me on this metaphor. It's yeah, uh, it's I, cold I'm, I'm, and damp in my house. Cold and damp. Okay, I'm, but I don't know because I think like you're t- you're really taking aim though, and I think um, the kind of I don't know cliche or the the uh, the belief that once you get beyond three children, you know, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter, right? It, you know, it's sort of just it doesn't get if you will measurably harder. Whereas when I talk to people who have three children, they're like, oh no. Like if you have, or if you were have four or five or something like that, they're like, no, that's totally not true. Like having four is like, yes, that is more work than three and then so on and so on. So, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. so I don't know, like, but because you went from two to the third, right? So you've recently, yeah, semi recently yeah. experienced that. And it seems like the workload you would, I, I uh, gather from your description, the workload has definitely gone up with the third, right? It's not like, oh, oh yeah, it's just as easy as sure. two, right? Well, I mean, I mean to, to bring the, the the sports metaphor into it, you've gone from playing man to man to playing zone, and you know you're always going to be shorthanded, and someone's always going to be out to to you know break through your defenses. So, you, your options are, you know, you uh, you just roll with it, or you you go on the offensive. This episode is brought to you by Strong DM, managing a gazillion SSH database passwords and Kubernetes certs. Meet StrongDM, the only way to simplify infrastructure access and audit controls across any environment, no matter how diverse. StrongDM extends any SSO to centrally manage access to databases, servers, Kubernetes clusters, so onboarding and offboarding can be done in a single click. Escalate privileges with just-in-time access and automatically log every query and command. Trusted by companies like Hearst, Peloton, and SoFi, StrongDM is the only way to manage access and audit controls at scale without disrupting workflows. Start your 14-day free trial at strongdm.com slash SCT. There's no credit card required. That's strongdm.com slash SCT. And of course, we thank StrongDM for sponsoring our show. So, you know, as all of us do, our, uh, you know, one of my old bosses, Stephen O'Grady, he wrote a little piece about uh, how we're always trying, by we, I mean us in the industry here, collectively, we're always trying to reinvent Heroku. And I think... <clears throat> characteristic of some of the better Red Monk pieces. He doesn't really answer the question afterwards. He just kind of like points out like, hey, what's going on over here? With a lot of uh, exegesis behind it. And uh, But he does raise a good point that I think is worth pondering, especially in the uh, the area that we are here, is like, so yeah, they they seem to have figured things out way back when, and yet here we are. Like, we're we're still like, not quite done with it. And it is like an ongoing mystery of, you know, Heroku was pretty cool when it came out. We had all these other passes and we're still trying to tell people that Kubernetes is a platform for building platforms. And, uh, you know, the, the fine work that Matt Ray does now is kind of in this area. No one, no one like, you know, I mean, there, it seems like there, there are, and there were plenty of dynamos to go around, but that wasn't going to solve everyone's problem. And uh, and now, you know, they're chilling with the mule people, getting ready to uh, deploy your code from Slack, things like that in the, the Salesforce world. But I think it is worth sort of pondering 
like uh so so why didn't Heroku take over the world? Like it seems like every every time you know from everyone in this area what I what I hear from the Kubernetes people is now it's all about uh developer experience or I I I kind of jokingly tweeted the other day is it DevX or DevEX? Like we got to settle on this cuz I remember back in the days when um we were trying to figure out is it DevOps all lowercase? Do you put an underbar in between Dev and Ops, no. or do you camel case it? Right, right. I mean, this is the discussion that we all had, <laughs> and so I feel like we we're gonna have to sort out this. Is it camel case Dev and the letter X? Is it camel case Dev and then EX, or is it all it's all lowercase never wins? Let's just concede that that never happens. It worked for E Cummings. Well, sure. And where did that get him? <laughs> He's dead, right? So like. <laughs> <laughs> that didn't pan out. Maybe I think what maybe you're suggesting is maybe we could put a period or a dot in there. That might work uh, because I think E. e. Cummings had two periods in a space, but was all lower a lowercase. Uh, so we got those in play. Uh, so first, we need to settle: is it what type of DevX are we talking about? But I think the other thing is that, and and you know, Stephen was getting close to this. I think we should have a pretty good analysis of like why did Heroku not take over the world, right? And I think this might be a good Excelsior sort of betting to kind of launch us into whatever uh, whatever we do after the Kubernetes layer. Like, the, the, you know, or, because I, I, think, I think to use a Ben Thompson uh, sort of framing, at this point, now, and by this, at this point, what I mean is that like, you know, we're about to leap over the great chasm into the uh, the early majority, right? Don't get me wrong. Everything's still like very early, whatever. But uh, more or less people have decided that like, we're going to take this Kubernetes thing for a spin and see if the wheels stay on. Like that's what we're, that's what we're in here for. And, uh, but we got to sort of figure out like, so, okay. So if we layer the developer stuff on top of that, along with the ancillary mm-hmm. stuff to make this enterprise, um, I mean, so can we just like ship Heroku on top of that or does that not work? Or can we just ship like Cloud Foundry on top of that or does that not work? Or do we have to like reinvent the entire thing? Do we go with back to the Ben Thompson thing? I think, you know, myself and other people who are in the, uh, let's say maybe three years ago, let's call it the Paz Wars, big wars about the, uh, the data center of the future, the Docker, the Cloud Foundry, the... Mesosphere, I guess that's the data center of the future. Like all these layers that you had on top of containers. We're all trying to contend with like, this is the application layer. Um, And I think, you know, uh, here we are now. Uh, So is it going to be a bundled thing where we've got like a unified stack? Unified is the wrong word. It's like the one big stack that you get. Or is it just going to be a bunch of components that everyone is always throwing together? And therefore... uh, people should focus on providing components versus fully integrated stacks. And I don't know the answer. I mean, I don't think that any of the three of us drive the answer because we, <laughs> we sell into the answer, right? It's the yes. buyers, the users who determine what the answer is. Um, however, this is probably a good moment to think about. So uh, what didn't work out for Heroku? And why why are they not the kings of everything? Well, I definitely uh, think he he offers up a kind of interesting kind of solution or analysis of it. Is it basically comes down to Haruko and let's just say all the paths before it, right? 
are essentially trying to be the massive horizontal platform to like ultimately say, this is the way, right? Everything should mm. be built. You know, forget about the infrastructure, build all your applications on this path system. And that's the way it should be, right? And what I think he's kind of showing out here yeah. is that, well, AWS built out all the primitives. And as we've kind of joked about on this show and everyone's joked about a little bit on Twitter is that, you know, AWS offers like a different way to do everything, you know, kind of culminating in the 17 different options, right, to deploy a container. And I think his his point there is trying to say is that AWS is sort of saying that like, well, they're not going to be just one big pass, right? They're going to be a right. whole bunch of different ways to do it. Yeah. And all of all of these ways will probably try to encapsulate, you know, the infrastructure more and more like AWS Elastic Beanstalk, one of the many options, right? Um, and I think his point, you know, what O'Grady's saying here at the end is like, well, that's sort of just a different way of thinking about it. It's like there's going to be a whole bunch of different, let's call them uh, PaaS specific solutions, right? That you'll kind of choose from, like basically probably dependent on your programming language and your technology and what you're doing. And so this notion that there'll be like one pass to rule them all, you know, will never come to fruition, right? No. And that's sort of the DCOS. Remember, I, I of course love that data center operating system yeah, yeah. of the future, right? It's like, oh yeah, we're, that's what we're working to. We're working to one big thing that we'll all just use. Whereas this other or, option or, he's talking about is like, no, there are going to be a whole bunch of things. Or, or but, even, or even one standard, right? Like, like uh, I, I know I'm fond of doing saying this, but like you know the the Java Enterprise standard. There were many implementations of it, and there were also many. Um, <clears throat> is apostate the right word? There were many Luthers like JBoss to Java Enterprise, but like in retrospect, it was all kind of sort of the same thing, right? Just like there were there were a couple of central tenants and things like that, and whether or not it was actual blood or just wine was sort of like, you know, whatever. So, uh, who, who's the Church of England in this metaphor? Mm. Who is the, I think, I think that, I think, you know, so let's, that's a good point. The Church of England would probably be, uh, Spring, right? it would be, it would be whichever Java application vendor, like made you use their actual classes instead of the generic ones. Well, right? well no, no, no. You, you got like, you got the, the, the J, J2E, Catholic Church, mm-hmm. you know, became the JEE uh, because you know whatever, and and then somewhere along the line, these like upstarts over in Spring were like, "Hey, we got this good thing going." Oh, 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 so go on, go on. <laughs> no, no, no. And, and, and then and then there's like you know, if you go into the this is my my interpretation of the Java, Java ecosystem, having been out of it uh-huh, for like you know uh-huh. twelve plus years, um, you pop in and like, oh, the Spring stuff, they've got their own little thing going on here that's different from the rest of them. And then later on, you've got like, you know, all sorts of other crazy stuff. You've got like Kotlin and that's like, you know, uh, Greek Orthodox. Right. And then you've got, uh, mm, you know, Scala mm. and, and that can be, uh, uh, I don't know okay, what those good. guys are. <laughs> I, 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 got, I got your framing. I think, okay, here's, I so think yes, the JVM, all the Protestants are on top of the JVM. Okay. So you've got, you've Catholics. got, you've got the church. Right, J two E E, which which, uh, and then everyone's following along, and then two things happen. One, uh, you know, uh, Rod Johnson comes along. He is kind of is like he the, the Holy Luther. Roman Emperor. No, no, no. He he's kind of like the Luther, right? Because he he okay. publishes that book where he's all like like cradling himself like that on the cover, the whatever red book that was, and and his position is that the mysticism behind Java enterprise should be accessible to all of the practitioners. It shouldn't be difficult. It shouldn't be like hard to understand. 
So what we should do is add this whole layer of interpretation that makes it easy for the lay people to use. Anyone can use yes. this and, and we should focus on usability, not orthodoxy. So Ooh, he's like just that. like, yeah. he just like nails, the, Nail the, he just nails the spring framework up to that, like, you know, 50 volume set of like J2EE. And so he's got that going on. Meanwhile, you know, while I don't know who this was, but meanwhile, you've got, uh, you've got Henry 2E and he's like the defender of the faith. Everything's cool. But then all of a sudden he catches it in the corner of his eye, this, this, uh, this, this person called Ruby. And he's like, Hmm. <sighs> That looks really nice. Now, what if we basically did the same thing, but I could also run Ruby, like, and I could also like run these other languages. So whoever like started this idea that you could use the JVM to run yeah. multiple languages, that's the Church of England. And then once you got that, everyone's just like, it's you're donezo, right? Like okay. then, then Java becomes this like generic foundation that you can do whatever you want with. And yeah, yeah. All you're really doing is optimizing JVM performance and uh, working on partnerships <laughs> to get it spread everywhere. And, and, uh, and then and then it all comes back to evangelism. Yes, that's right. Yes. <laughs> but I guess you know, if, I, if I followed that whole metaphor, which I got to be honest, I don't know if I did, but let's just go with it. It's, say, it's in there somewhere. Um, but like when you <laughs> at the end of that, right, once you get to the JVM, it, it kind of just becomes a primitive again. Right. So you're kind of back to the you yeah, know, you're kind yeah. of back to where once you've gotten all that out, you're like, well, now the JVM's a primitive. I can do what I want. And now we're kind of like it spawns like another decade of like all kinds of stuff being tried and we're in Haruko kind of coming and going, if you, if you will. Or, mm -hmm. um, so then we're kind of stuck back now. We're kind of like full circle back to like where we were before. It's like, okay, <laughs> well, should I build all this stuff myself? Right. Will there be a platform uh -huh. to rule them all or will it be? Because I mean, this is obviously, you know, this is your world, Kote, right? You know, Tanzu is one, one thing can be deployed many places, right? OpenShift, uh -huh. another. So, so we do have those that are out there where it's like, well, you know, the, each of these frameworks pop up and each of these platforms, if you will, pop up. They all have strengths and weaknesses. So, so maybe you do end up with, you know, taking that last line from O'Grady. Maybe there are five popular, like call them PaaS-like services that need to coexist and like you'll just kind of always be picking between them. I mean, when I think ahead, it's like I can see why that would happen, but it's also feels like, oh, that'll be kind of disappointing because then again, we'll all be kind of like strung out across a whole bunch of different PaaS systems and not really realizing oh, yeah. all the benefits. Yeah, yeah. So uh, it doesn't feel like that's where we want to go, but we could go that way. Yeah. And that's where you know, we're going. The, so, so we, we talked about this a little bit last week with the, uh, you know, when, when you were on the Cloudcast, kind of considering that there is no um, monolithic developer out there, right? That, that there are many, there's actually many types of developers who use different tools. And so it's hard to go after one developer, which, so, so that's one good sort of table setting to have. And the other thing, I mean, I would have to, spend more time than I have what with how loud stuff is around here and, you know, people falling down and needing their diapers changed. And, you know, you know, the kids, they'll just get a water gun and they'll, you know, I, I forgot how fun it is to shoot a water gun against a glass door. It's delightful. You can just see it in their eyes. <laughs> but the, the key to that is making sure that there is a glass door there and that it doesn't oh, go no. into the house. That's very mm, important. Anyways, yeah. like, I think there's an analysis to be done, like back when I used to do this kind of thing, is if we look at the past 20 years of big trends and developers, was there ever like an integrated monolithic stack that won out, 
right? Like, was there ever a Paz in whatever sense that that won out instead of, again, being that unbundled thing? And I think, you know, the as we just went over, even if you look in the Java world, that was far from a unified stack. Like there was there was like a standard, like there was a way of doing things, but it was very fractured, right? Like yeah. like there was all these tools and everything. And then if you were to look into another area, you could say, all right, there's being a Microsoft developer, like a .NET thing, which I don't know that much about. But my sense is that even in that world, it's not really unified. There's still like so many ways to do everything. Like it's still a bag of parts that you can do whatever you want with. And then I don't know what it's like in Android and iOS. And then you have the LAMP stack, which is just like, that's well, your answer right there. That's all over the place. Android's back on Java, though. Yeah. See, yeah. Those, so, they're like that weird, you know, offshoot. So, so it's kind of like, is there ever a case where you buy a top to bottom stack and that becomes, I guess there's SAP. That would be, that's an interesting exception that like people, the way people talk about their ERP stacks is like, you are totally bought into that, right. whether you want to be or not as like the one thing. And I do think though, I it. think the Apple, I think, you know, you know, if you look at, you know, building um, iPhone apps, like they're pretty opinionated about like, Hey, the future is Swift. They have all the licenses. Yeah, yeah. They, they're, it's pretty prescriptive. And I think, you know, maybe some of this goes back to the discussion uh, you had this week with uh, Josh, right. In your interview, you know, you guys talk about you know, the use of like developer advocacy versus evangelism where advocate is really more like, I'm trying to help make sure all the developers understand what we do. And then you're trying to advocate for the developers inside. And it's like, and one of the points that, you know, he was making is that, well, people don't like the term evangelist because evangelist is sort of like saying, you know, there is a right way. And maybe that's where as an industry today, we kind of are, we do have like tons of advocates, but there aren't that many people willing to stand up and be like, no, this is the right way. And I think, you know, to get the, to get a pass train rolling, right. To get a movement rolling, um, you know, you, you may need something like that. You actually may need like someone who's comes out like unabashed. It's like, no, I'm an evangelist because, and my goal is to convince you this is the right way versus, uh, you know, right tool, right job. Sure. Everything is good. Everything has strengths and weaknesses. And that's why we end up, I think with like this very fragmented set of tools. Um, and so I don't know, like, does the world want that? Does the world want an evangelist? Does, is there a solution that somebody would advocate for that we would all be like, yep, we actually see that it's a lot better. But a Apple, right, for example, you know, it's not one person, but, you know, they, they basically said like the future is Swift and then they have several libraries like AppKit and other stuff. And they've, you know, they basically say like you would not want to learn Objective-C to build iPhone apps going forward and you should learn the new frameworks and they're pretty direct about it. So that would be, um, but Apple itself, right. Has a closed ecosystem and they, you know, malevolent dictator or (laughs) maybe, I don't know. Well, I mean, it's it's not turn that. Yeah. It's Apple is a small version of Microsoft, right? Mm -hmm. You know, they've got, you know, they've got Xcode to your VS code. They've got, you know, Swift to your .NET, you know, Mm -hmm. I mean, Microsoft's, kept their ecosystem together they've they've kept you know for whatever like divergence there's been they usually rope things back into the mainstream because it's not fractured though you know and because they can't you know whereas java you know is is a little, a little bit more opened up i mean are there this is this is my ignorance are there other languages you can run on top of the net clr like, you know, the same way you can put other stuff on the JV. I mean, do people even bother? You know, I, I don't know. But, um, yeah, I, 
<laughs> I, to, 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 to bring it all back, it's like, I don't think there's going to be another breakout Heroku. I think it's this like evolutionary pattern that is really good, kind of like, I don't know, flying. And, you know, it's going to pop up. People are going to be like, oh, yeah, we got this good evolutionary thing going. And, you know, oh, now we've outgrown this. Uh, we'll go try something different. And then people are like, hey, you know what we should do? We should try flying. And they'll just keep reinventing Heroku over and over again to match the latest things that are available to them. But as soon as somebody outgrows that new version of it, they'll stop using it. And then someone will pick it back up and reinvent it again. And, you know, 16, 17 versions of it on, on AWS, everybody's going to keep doing it. Yeah. And uh, it's just evolution at work. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think it goes back to one of our central tenets. Uh, uh, I remember many years ago when I was uh, talking to our friend Charles and I, you know, he was a big fan and probably still is of Heroku. And uh, his comment about Heroku was like, oh, it's so awesome. It's really great. But dude, so expensive. And, and, and I think that's an angle on the thing that is, has to be considered well, as well on this analysis is that ultimately like there's a problem with pricing. If you're trying to sell the full unified thing, it's just like something happens at that point that is hard to think about and explain. And that doesn't, I don't know, that doesn't, doesn't crop up enough in product strategy discussions, right? Like the technology might be great. It might be really good to use. It might be unified or whatever, but at some point, like you have to, with the collective developer world, like have a discussion or an understanding about how pricing affects usage. Because I feel like even, I, I don't know, at some point there's a price tag that you have for uh, niceness and everyone's like, no, I'd rather just make a couch out of cardboard. <laughs> like I don't want to buy a good, e even Ikea is too expensive when I could just go find like, you know, some cardboard that I staple together. And that's the job. What you're always on, on the there. Uh, what you may be hitting on there, though, is like, you know, may, you know, maybe what needs to happen there is there has to be some changes in, you know, hardware, some kind of leap in hardware that mm. would maybe alleviate some of the pricing problems. Like if we go back and we think about, you know, what, what kind of drove some of the things where we are today was like, well, people got away from proprietary like uh, Unix machines, Solaris and things like that. Right. And Sun and got on Linux. And that that was a big a reason was cost. And that sort of opened up a whole new sets of um, ways to build software and software development methodologies and even software development, you know, toolkits. So, you know, maybe that's what sits out there is like there is this new arm chip or something out there that's even less expensive. Mm. And uh, so therefore to think about cost and it's even more powerful, right? Like we kind of saw this a little bit with Apple, kind of the jump from Intel to M1 was this sort of step function in uh, mm -hmm. you know, performance computing. So, Maybe if something like that happens, that would usher in like, oh, yeah, if you use but, this this architecture, a lot of problems go away. And this is the west, best way to build on this new architecture. Well, I, I, I think I think the problem there is, is that, you know, ARM, ARM made it easier, made it cheaper. And, you know, initially, at least with ARM, you know, you didn't get more power. So you just had to keep scaling horizontally. But that was the pattern that was already in motion, right? People had already been like, had already understood that vertical scaling had kind of topped out and we were going to move to horizontal scaling. And so ARM just kind of accelerated that. And then people started talking about like FPGAs or, you know, maybe if we get some of the, the GPU processing in there, that might unlock something different, but there's not that many compute cases that fit in that, that are going to change up how, yeah, you know, containers. I mean, there's not too many 
things that are going to change up how developers write their apps. We're so far away from the hardware. I don't think that's it. I think I think it's more likely treating treating the whole um, being more cloud native is is the answer. But that's so far away from the hardware. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You know. Meanwhile, there's uh, uh, there, there's reports. What is the figure that uh, there's been some some uh, which one was it? IDC or Gartner or whatever. They had some numbers out about public cloud spending, and I don't know. As always, I like to summarize. It's a lot. Lots of billions <laughs> and billions of dollars going up. And maybe maybe the thing that a uh, well, this would be contradicted by Heroku a little bit, but like there's a lot of money spent on public cloud. So people don't seem allergic to spending on that. Now you got that uh, you got that uh, platypus pig guy, who's like, will help you spend less money on AWS or whatever. But like, it's kind of frictionless to like use that stuff and spend it. And maybe the the like application stack pass people haven't figured that out, right? Like, essentially, the issue is that like you need to have um, uh, DevOps procurement, and once you kind of like get around that. Uh, you know, it's easy to use uh, whatever accelerated fast paths you want or something. I don't know. At some point, like the uh, to scale up a um, a PaaS stack, you hit like some money problem. And I don't know if that's really been sorted out so well. And maybe what, you know, this report really just shows is, as much as we talk about all the new stuff, you know, because all of this is just uh, infrastructure as a service, right, for public cloud. I mean, it's still, I you know, the lion's share of the revenue is still IaaS, and you'll hear here, I guess, uh, what is it saying? Amazon's a high of 64.3 billion, <clears throat> right? Far outpaced the market. Um, and it's just like, you know, you look at it, it's like, and I, you know, just my, my own day job, like that's what people are doing, right? That's what people still want. Um, whether they want to, maybe that's the wrong word. It's like, that's what people are migrating to is still infrastructure as a service. And so it's hard to see anything in the near term that turns that around. And nor will any of these public cloud providers while I'm sure they want to be at the next thing is they're making a ton of money doing this. So there's not a ton of incentive, right. To change off, off of the, these kind of classic architectures that we know and maybe love, maybe love or maybe hate. Yeah. So there you go. That's what we need to monitor along with all the other stuff is, uh, are we going to be, uh, are people going to be buying a lot of components or do they want an integrated stack? Always the question in, in this area, always difficult to sort out. Well, on a slightly related or not at all topic. There was, uh, you know, I found this new newsletter that I subscribed to. I forget, uh, what's the name of it? I actually paid for it. That, that'll that tell you. Speaking of paying for things, it's the uh, the Galaxy Brain newsletter. I don't really know the history of this person, but I've been reading the free editions and it's uh, it's pretty good. It's, uh, you know, the, he, I think, I forget what he and his co-author of a book are writing on. Something about workplace and remote work or or not, or just workplace stuff. But uh, he had a nice piece going over essentially like um, I guess it, it, it was a, a specific example of being able to talk about like, should we do go back to in-office work or remote work? And I don't know, there was apparently some uh, <clears throat> some memo from Apple that like people need to come back and work in our big, what was it, $4 billion flying saucer <laughs> office. And uh, and then, you know, the uh, so, some some of the employees um Speaking of Luther, I, I don't know the analogy because I don't yeah, know. Uh, is, is that a cathedral they just built? Exactly. I, I don't I don't know the history of uh, the Catholic Church well enough to find the analogy of the uh, I mean, I guess would it be Spinoza like Spinoza and Erasmus 
more so Erasmus. Spinoza was kind of out there, but Erasmus was sort of like, hey, man, I'm all into it. I'm all bought in. But like, maybe we should think about changing some things. Uh, and somehow he didn't get burned. I think he had to escape to Amsterdam or somewhere else. But like, so maybe it's kind of like an Erasmusian sort of missives that some employees wrote. And they were like, I feel like if I if you're telling me to return to the office, you're not really listening to uh, us employees about like, it would be fine to work flexibly. And instead, we should have uh, teams driving that decision. Anyhow, the exactitudes, if that's a word of like the the exact Apple thing, I think it's a good opportunity for us to discuss like, so uh, should people be in the office or remote or does it matter? Like how how should people be uh, navigating through this stuff? Like I, uh, I don't know. I've always worked remote. I shouldn't say always since 2006, <laughs> except for a two year period. And like, I don't know. I mean, I'm incredibly biased, but I feel like uh, working in an office is like there's two sides of it. Working in an office is full of distractions. Like, <laughs> not, as, not like your ten kids. Yeah, yeah. That whole, that's the other side of it. Is like you got you got basically like all these people. They come up to you and they want to talk with you. So like I remember the last time I worked in an office. <laughs> They're was, your kids, Conte. They're not these people. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> when when I worked at Dell for a couple of years, I would I, you know I went to the office because. I had to, to, uh, cause that's how people operated. But like I got, it got to the point where I would never sit at my desk because people would come up and talk to me and I would like hide around the office. Like I knew all these places across the Austin campus to go where I didn't know anyone. So they wouldn't come talk to me and like, you know, <laughs> bug me. And so, you know, it like the other, the other way of putting this is like that sentiment of like, this could have been like a, a one sentence email. Like there's a lot of interactions like that. So there's that side of it. But then again, the other side, to your point, Matt Ray, is like, sometimes I would like to not be available to my other coworkers, right? Like, it's sort of like, when you're at home, like, you can be like, hmm, maybe I should wash the dishes instead of working. Or like, you know, maybe I should do this. So there are like, I mean, distraction is like this pejorative term that implies there's something else should be you should be paying attention to. But to some extent, it's like you do need a forcing function to not get distracted with your real life. I don't know. It's very uh, I'm not really sure if like working in the office works or not. Like it's it's very um, I don't think either side really has any good reasoning behind it. I think Toby, maybe yeah. I think we always start with like the individuals kind of thinking through like what would make sense. And I think that's natural because we're all in that position. But maybe think of it this way. Like if you employed a hundred people and you were responsible to ensure that your business was running and that you depended on those hundred people to whatever, produce, do stuff, do what, do whatever, right? And maybe it's a hundred, maybe it's a thousand, maybe it's ten thousand. It's like that's the I think the part you have to start with. Like what would how would mm. you organize uh that group of people to ensure to the best of your abilities things were getting done because that the people making the decisions i think are starting with that perspective right and some in yeah, some cases yeah. they have a, tens of thousands or even 100,000 people and it's like well what do i do and i you know of course and then of course what we're kind of in this unprecedented time around throughout history the way that you've largely done that is saying hey if, I, if you're in the office, that is one way to know that you're available to at least be doing the things that I want you to do. Now, it doesn't mean you always are, but at least there. But now, and then, of course, for you know, to your point earlier, Kote, it's like most of the time, like when you accept a job, 
it's been, it's really clear, like, well, this is remote or it isn't. And you kind of make trade-offs in your own mind. You're like, I want that kind of job or I don't, things like that. I think what's really unusual here is that people are reevaluating kind of right in the middle. They've already accepted jobs. They have careers. They've maybe been in jobs for years. And now this, you know, pandemic has kind of opened up this new idea. And so now everyone's sort of re-debating it. Whereas you usually debate that at the time of accepting, looking for a job, accepting a job. And your employers also can be very clear. Yeah. They can tell you. Uh, what what's excited now i know anytime like i said ibm a while back where they changed some of the they specifically changed the rules this is all pre-pandemic they said hey this group has to work in an office and that was that was not uh, you know i think change changing it when people are working that's always the hardest part so, right, so maybe right. that's what we're seeing here so i don't know i always come back to it can definitely i think maybe the simplest way is like it can work everything can work right there's examples of People being in an office and being extremely productive and companies doing well and 100 percent remote. Right. So it's it's more around what does that group of people want to do and that management team want to do and then being in alignment with the people that you hire. Like that's how they want to work as well. And I think that's yeah, really yeah. that's really the most important set of questions to ask. Yeah. 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 And th and that's the so I, I think there's two things there. One. uh once you decide on one way of doing it, you can't change without a lot of like eating shit, basically. <laughs> and and then and then uh, for lack of a more artful phrase, and then two, and this is the other thing that's so confounding about it is like, well, it can work either way, <laughs> right? Like, yeah. like, like there, it's it's very hard. It yeah, I mean, I mean, it's, I mean, I, it's very hard to categorize types of work that have to be in person. I mean, setting aside obvious things that if you are like handing something to someone, right? Or or like I mean if there is some sort of physical exchange of things happening then sure, whatever. Uh but like if you're like collaborating around something or or whatever, I don't know, it's it's both of them have pluses and minuses and I don't I I I think the thing I struggle with in reading about this stuff over and over again is like no one provides like a framework for figuring out what the answer for them is. It's more just like, it's more just like people like right, but me here's, who's here's just the like, question I don't want to go to an office. I think here's like, a question you can start with. Like, and I think it's very simple. It's like, what do you believe human beings, like just our natural state, like if we have the opportunity to take advantage and work less, like, will we do that? Right. Because I think there's mm, sort of like right, you'll, right, right. you'll see, like, especially in like sports and stuff, you'll see about, you'll, you know, sometimes you'll hear other public, you know, let's say, call it motivational speakers say something like, the natural state of the human being is to like find comfort, to like, you know, find the easiest path. Right. And by doing that, right, you know, sometimes that they're talking about like, you're not working hard, you're not working out, you're not, whatever, you know, you're, 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 you need to be incentivized in some way, and it can be negative or positive incentives to keep pushing yourself beyond. Otherwise, a human being will just always find it the happy path, the simplest path, right? And so I think yep. there's sort of that framework. And then there's also the framework of people are adults. People know what needs to be done. Done If you give them clear goals and you put in place uh, the processes that they need to, to achieve whatever those goals are, that's enough. Like let them become responsible and own it and that sort of kind of favors like a, a different way of thinking. And I think if you start to answer that question, right, for yourself, and then you look to your leadership and say, how does my leadership answer that question? I think that will start to give you indications of like which kind of, you know, 
uh, way of thinking, right? Are do they or which kind of which kind of work style is going to work better yeah, for them? Yeah, yeah. Are we coming to a point where there's going to be just like these are remote companies, these are in person companies, or are the, are people going to be able to straddle the line? Well, I think we're kind of. I think know, even before the pandemic, two. I think we were. There. I think there was a lot of like there wasn't. As many, uh, yeah, it, it but was. They, it was happening before the pandemic. Yeah, but I think right? I think but, you are. Yeah, I think now. Yeah, and I do think one thing I think is very interesting because it's so close to the world we're in is that you know we all spend a lot of time talking about digital transformation and. One of the things is you're talking about these companies like, hey, you should embrace this new, these new ideas of these new technologies because it will ultimately help you and new ways of doing business, right? Becoming agile, yep. DevOps, all, all of these things, right? We talk about, and, and oftentimes many of the people, the leadership of these other companies will say like, if you're not doing this, you know, you're going to be out of business, right? So if fear of change is going to to hurt your business, right? So it's interesting to then kind of see this reflected back, right, around Hey, work from home. I think it can, it's kind of like, you can almost like plug in DevOps, like, Hey, DevOps is a good way to do stuff. It's a little different, but I think you're going to really do it. And I think this idea that people saying to technology companies, Hey, work from home really works out really well. I save all this money, time on commute, and it's a new way of doing things. And like, don't be so entrenched in the way you've been doing it before. Like you should really take a look at this. And so the same companies that are sometimes advocating for like, this kind of organizational change on one hand, when faced with the same type of, let's call it, um, you know, broader workplace practices tend to, you know, you kind of see the same type of behavior. They kind of retreat to what they know, which I think is really mm. kind of fascinating um, as we move well, forward. I mean, they just built a $3 billion building. <laughs> but that's, that's like, you know, but know. just, you know what? I mean, just, <laughs> just take building and change it with data center, Right. They oh, just yeah. built oh, their oh, own yeah. data center and they just invested in all this infrastructure and they have all these processes and they've done it this way for years. Like you could just like change out a few of the nouns there and you get a very, you know, a very similar kind of uh, choice to the customer. Like, hey, you know, that's not the way you should maybe do it going forward. Look, I know you've been in the church of Java for a long time, but have you <laughs> thought about converting? <laughs> well, you know, no matter where we are working, uh, whether we're in an office together in the same city or remote as we always are there, uh, you know, there's one thing you can't escape wherever you're working and that's bureaucracy. So Brandon, do we have any bureaucracy this week? <laughs> yes, we do. I want to thank uh, Stuart who wrote in. So I sent him some stickers. Uh, he's in Lake St- Stevens, Washington. Uh, so if you would like stickers, all you have to do is uh, email me at stickers at software talk.com. Just send your postal address. I'll be happy to send you stickers anywhere in the world. Also in, uh, you know, podcast, uh, you know, let's call it nerdery way down the, I did figure out what's going on with Apple podcasts. So if you're using Apple podcasts right now and you see bad show notes, here's what you can do. If you basically, if you subscribed using the Apple podcasts, um, uh, link, that's why it happens. But if you take the RSS feed mm. from directly from the website and you put it in Apple Podcast, you will then get all the show notes uh, in the nice format. So I don't know why Apple Podcast does this. You know, I mentioned a few shows ago, like every release, you always uh, add features uh, that show you you hate your customers. I've done it many times, so I speak of it. So I don't know what's going on here, but for some reason, Apple strips out the formatting if you do it through the uh if you will, the podcast store. So I just say it for all of the people that are living the defaults lifestyle. They like that. And they're not getting the show notes. If you don't care about show notes, there's nothing to do. Or you want to sign up for our newsletter. 
great. So there you go. And uh, all, some of that information comes from uh, the people over at ATP. I think Marco Arment, he figured it all out. So I'm just, uh, if you will, cruising on his work. And then finally, I want to thank uh, Brian uh, White Eagle. He is our official uh, Twitch moderator. And uh, if you're not on the stream, you should come check it out sometime. But he has used Nightbot, and I knew nothing about this until he did all this work. So he basically added a whole bunch of S, uh, software-defined talk uh, Twitch commands. So if you're in the, the Twitch, there's a, I'll put a link here. You can come on, and you can uh, chat with everyone. And he's got a, a bunch of fun commands that you can use to, to make the chat experience even better. And then, of course, uh, you know, Kote, you, you, you've taken on on the mantle here you've made our stream a lot better with what are we using now restream.io we've got all kinds of, of new that's effects right. that everyone should that's right check out and then finally i just wanted to say just as someone that lived through a bad weather event i just wanted to say to all the people in the pacific northwest i feel bad for you i'm sorry you don't have air conditioning and like i am sure it sounds it sounds like it's awful so i hope the air condition well i guess you're not going to get air conditioning i hope it cools off for you very soon so that's it yeah that, that's no good. Well, you know, it sounds like I'm guessing the Apple podcast thing is probably just like UTF-8 or something. It's, it's always like <laughs> sure some character encoding bullshit. Who knows? Fucking Unicode. We should just be all using like ASCII and ANSI. It'd be fine. You know, <laughs> not really. Not really. But remember how many like how, bugs we would have it, over it, character there, encoding? Like, it was terrible. Your name? Is it yeah, the accent yeah. encode Unicode? No. So then you what? Go back to yeah, yeah. You know, uh, I don't know. No, just character encoding. People always get that wrong. That that in time zones. I think I think number one source of software problems: time zones and daylight oh, yeah. savings time. Number two, character encoding, and that's uh, that's going to be that's pretty much it. That's how you can uh, succeed in programming. You should be the one person in your company or group who masters those two things. That's all you ever Ooh. have to do. Wouldn't that be nice to know? Like, oh. You got to go get, uh, you got to go get, uh, Stacy. She knows how character <laughs> encoding works. Bring her over here. And, uh, there you go. Solved. Well, uh, speaking of character encoding in, in no way related whatsoever, there's several conferences going on at the moment. Uh, July uh, 13th and 14th, there's the rabbit MQ summit where they'll talk about rabbit MQ. And then, uh, July 26th and, uh, 20 to 29th, you've got the, that conference, and then coming around September, we'll have our big show here in VMware Tanzu land, the Spring One Conference. Uh, there's also a little uh, DevOpsy thing that I'm helping put together for that, that we'll have actually around VMworld, which is in October, uh, that you should keep listening for. That'll be uh, fun stuff. So uh, also, if you want to uh, track what we're doing uh, day by day during the week, there's a lot of good people in the whole community here who uh, put stuff in the uh, the Software Defined Talk Slack, links that we might talk about, other side conversations. If you go to softwaredefinedtalk.com, you can see a link to the Slack thing up there, which you can easily join. All sorts of other stuff over there, show notes, past episodes. Uh, sadly, we don't have any like gifts that you can purchase to send your loved ones. I guess you could send them the gift of a recommendation to subscribe with the RSS feed rather than the iTunes. The gift that keeps giving. That's right. Yes. Weekly, sometimes twice a week, it gives uh, if you uh, download it. So with that, Brandon, what do you have to recommend this week? Well, a couple of things I want to recommend. One, I want to recommend your podcast uh, interview with Josh. So just go back in the feed. Everyone should listen to that. Two, I want to uh, uh, call out our Instagram account uh, where, Kote, I put up your uh, bobbleheads. So this is some mm, classic yes. bobbleheads. So that's why everyone 
should follow us on Instagram. And uh, next week, I'm just going to say I'm putting Matt Ray up with an animal of some kind, right? So you, stay tuned. Stay tuned. We have, we have all. Is it an Australian animal? Listen, I'm not, I'm not going to tease it anymore. You know what it is. And now that I think about it, it may not be an animal, but whatever. It's something with Matt Ray <laughs> up there. Something something will be up there. Um, well, and I want to uh, just quickly recommend uh, this. is I actually ventured out and went to uh, a movie in a movie theater, believe it or not. I can't believe I did oh. it. It was crazy. And I saw A Quiet Place too. And uh, if you saw the first one, I thought the second one was really, really good too. It was great to be back mm. in the theater. Uh, my wife and I went, and we uh, sort of kind of went in an off time, and we were the only two in the theater. So it felt very, very safe. But it was very nice. It was nice that they did a, a private showing, if you will, for A Quiet Place too. So check that out if you're interested in it. Did you go to a uh, Alamo Draft House? Is that uh, we did not? You go? We went to just a local theater here, trying to think of the, oh, the old name. school. Uh, I can't remember what it is here, but yeah. So I guess the movies aren't really back, but uh, it was it was nice to like, it was just nice to be out and watch a movie. It was like crazy. It's just kind of a, a weird feeling to go back after so long. Well, that's a good review. Usually the second movie not so good, right? Like it's uh, so hmm, maybe I'll check that out. Yeah, well, I, I'm saying usually <laughs> there are exceptions. God but yeah. yeah, man. You know, I mean, maybe it's maybe speaking of like, you know, uh, apostateness and heretics. I mean, you know, you watch that first alien movie and you're just like, what are they doing here? They should have just like they should have just like skipped to the second one. That one's so much. Better. Oh, no, the first one's good, too. It's just uh, they're very different movies. Know. It's all right. It's all right. I don't know. I, I feel I feel like it's like, you know, do you want to watch Casablanca or like uh, the usual suspects? Like just like. You you want to have like the fully evolved thing that's like more interesting. I don't know. Casablanca is fine, but it's just sort of like, oh, it's this movie, right? Like, yeah. uh, yeah. well, just like Heroku, it's setting the the reference point for all future movies. That's true. That's true. Yeah. How about yourself, Matt Ray? What do you have to recommend this week? Well, uh, thanks for rubbing in the fact that you guys are on the loose again. Uh, Australia's back in lockdown. Five um, percent. Uh, vaccination rate but anyway uh my my, yes um my uh my recommendation for this week is uh there's a band that uh i liked back in in the 90s that put out one album um uh called uh the name of the band is the pulsars and they put out uh one album and got into a fight with the record label and never put out anything else and i just got on this jag of listening to them like a whole bunch a week ago and then i was like i wonder what they're whatever happened and i i went to the the google and they put out an unreleased thing like three days ago it was just like weird cosmic you know occurrence so uh the pulsars lost transmissions is on Bandcamp, not on spotify got to go to the band camp and, and uh you know get yourself some pulsars but uh really good stuff if you like uh electronic pop songs about you know tunnels and robots and stuff that's that's my jam tunnels and robots and stuff sure sure uh okay you know this brings up a question that i i was asking uh kim recently now you know there's this band the replacements do do, do y'all two know that band i know them so so i i had never really heard about this band i mean i i remember our 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 friend chip holden was a big fan so i kind of heard about and like it's come up sometime in the past couple of years and like when I was of the age where I would know about music, like in the nineties, they like never came up. Like, I, I don't know. It was not in my world. And so was like, truth world, yeah. and so I have this theory that the replacements are like 
the people when I was a freshman in high school, the people who were seniors, they are the ones who like the replacements and older. And so there's like this slight like year thing where like I it just wasn't part of my world because I have mm-hmm. I I never experienced this band, but it's apparently like a big deal. Like it's I don't know. So is like when did you have to be born to like think about and enjoy the replacements and know about them? <laughs> probably, probably slightly older than my age. Cause uh, they were already, had they already broken up by the time we got to college? Yeah. So, so yeah, I, I mean, they're, I, I too missed out on the replacements, but it's one of those things like a lot of, a lot of music, especially in like indie rock was very localized right it was who mm-hmm. who you knew and what they were into that affected what you liked and for me for me it was like uh the ramones and hip-hop that was my foundational um music and so yeah i never kind of got around to the replacements never got around to the smiths uh uh-huh. whatever yeah there were just uh-huh. bands that I, I never got onto but uh somehow i caught like ramones to talking heads to devo uh to pulsars so there, there you go. Huh, man, the Ramones. Don't get me started on that. Well, this week, what I have to recommend is a uh, another podcast episode. So I started listening to this podcast, Election Profit Makers, which has this absurd premise. But uh, the episode they have this week, it looks like it's episode 100. It's just like, it is, a, uh, is it an example of the exquisite, perfect podcast episode? And uh, I don't want to ruin it too much to you. I'm going to tell you like why it's, it's uh, or the, as we say, the business outcome that it achieves that makes it a good uh, episode. And that is they, uh, they just totally go off script talking about inane, weird things. But as you listen to it, you get the, uh, the personality of each of the three hosts and you like, you kind of appreciate their interplay and it just, uh, it's a, it's a little moment of podcasting magic. So you should go check that out. It's uh, Election Profit Makers episode 100, and uh, it's fun stuff. It'll, it'll make you appreciate, uh, you know, old school podcasts. There's no music that ducks in and out as they stop talking. And uh, let me think about this. They don't talk about anyone being murdered. So, you know, it's it's generation one podcasting. Now, it is about politics, so it's a little 1.5 maybe, but uh, it's a good episode. So speaking of that, you have been listening to a podcast uh, which is Software Defined Talk. If you want to get the show notes for this episode, all sorts of other things from the enterprise infrastructure world and also inane silly news world every now and then uh, that we uh, track there, you can go to softwaredefinedtalk.com slash 309. There's also a newsletter you can subscribe to where we will put in your email box through the magic of MailChimp uh, what happens each week. Be notified of it. If you go to softwaredefinedtalk.com, I think somewhere there you can sign up for it. I'm sure it's there. Uh, You can check that out. And, uh, you know, thanks for listening. And with that, we'll see everyone next time. Bye-bye. Bye. What does that even mean, zone? Well, okay, man-to-man, if there's two players on one side and two players on the other, you know, you're like, I got that guy, you got that guy. Right? And zone is like, I got this part of the field, you got that part of the field.